where where there's a need to have conversation. Um, with uh, so few folks here compared to what have been previous weeks, um, I'm not sure. We'll see how much conversation there is. And if it's the uh, earliest Sunday school class let out ever, then that's what it is. Um, but it's theology, so we'll see. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give, I'm going to see how many people, I, I know how many copies I made. Uh, is it okay if I just give one per married couple for now, just in case? Okay. So you, so you guys can share. I think probably some of you have seen these before, um, but this is the, this is the, uh, this is the long version actually of our 16 statements of fundamental truth. Um, uh, by our, I mean the assemblies of God. The assemblies of God requires that every church have these 16 statements in their, in their constitution and bylaws. These are the, uh, the major doctrines that, Mike, these are the major doctrines that we are, uh, that we are required to adhere to. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mention the 16, all right? I'll just cover the 16 and then um, and then two things that we're going to make available that we're going to do this morning. One is uh, any questions that you have about any of these 16, any, any concerns, any questions, um, this is your chance to bring them up. And then secondly, if there's some other matter of doctrine that is important to you that's not in these 16 that you would like to ask about, this is your chance to do it, okay? So it's uh, stump me, okay? Um, uh, so anyways, uh, the, the, um, the state, the tenets of faith, the, the 16 statements of fundamental truth. The first one is that the scriptures are inspired. The second one is the, uh, the adorable Godhead, that there is one true God. So we have, uh, the terms defined Trinity persons, uh, distinction and relationship unity. There is, uh, there is but one God, um, uh, so there's uh, identity, cooperation, the title, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's, there's all these uh, particulars dealing with the, the Godhead, one God, three persons. We are a Trinitarian um, fellowship. The third is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not up for discussion. The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was both man and God. Uh, number four the fall of man, um, that that man is fallen. The Assemblies of God doesn't, do a, doesn't mandate a ton about what it means that man is fallen. So a few years ago, uh, it's been quite a few years ago now, probably 10, um, in one of our local district councils, which covers Pennsylvania and Delaware. So I think there's like roughly 450 Assembly of God churches in Pennsylvania and Delaware. There was a, a, um, a 400 maybe, four, 450, something like that. Um, there was a resolution presented about this issue. What does it mean that man is fallen? Um, does it mean that babies are born guilty? Is guilt imputed to every human being the moment they're born? Or does it mean that we are born with a 
natural bend towards sin. What is it exactly that is meant by the fall of man? Okay, so there's the fall of man, number four. There's, uh, um, so the, the person that presented the resolution, what he was, what he was uh, wanting to have everyone sign on to was the idea that human beings are born sinless that they are born without a natural disposition to sin, that sin is something that is learned uh, over time. And um, one of the things, so forgive me, one of the things I took from, from that meeting was I was surprised by, by the idea that that not all pastors are very interested in theology. Like they, a lot of them are just more interested in practical people kinds of things, helping people with problems. And very, there was a, so the thing about it that was interesting to me was the number of people that didn't seem to have basic grasp on the theological issues involved. And this resolution was going to pass, I believe, until, until one person stood up and said, here's what the scripture says about this issue. And and w- literally within the two minutes that he spoke, everything turned and it got voted down within a few minutes. It was just crazy to me. Um, so yeah, that's that's how that went. Um, so let me just let me just because uh, I failed to do this before. Let me just say this very quickly. Um, I do want to finish what we've been working on the last two weeks, uh, but. Give one more to the carols back there because Sienna's behind you. Brian, do you want one? Sure. Not like you've never seen this before. Well, I figured that was what it was. Um, I do want to finish uh, just, just buttoning up a few issues, but I wanted to make sure we had enough time to go over this today. In this thing on small group leadership, this series on small group leadership, we want to have everyone on the same page as much as possible. We don't want to create unnecessary doctrinal conflict in the church, right? So, uh, so that's the fall of man. The fifth one is the salvation of man. You're going to hear a lot about this this morning, okay? You're going to get some, uh, you're going to get some doctrine on the salvation of man this morning. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that now. The sixth is the ordinances of the church. We believe there are two ordinances, uh, water baptism and uh, Holy Communion. There are some organizations that include foot washing. Um, uh, We do not. It's not that Assemblies of God churches have never practiced a foot washing. It's simply that it's not considered an ordinance of the church. Uh, Number seven is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And number eight is the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is speaking in other tongues according to this document. Now, um, we can talk about this. We have talked about this in the past. We can talk about it again if you want to this morning. Um, but I will just say that, that uh, the Assemblies of God list this as one of its four cardinal doctrines. Um, I don't really, I, I'm not a big fan of things like cardinal doctrines, but, uh, but they consider it kind of one of their hallmarks, their calling cards, the Assemblies of God does. So again, we can discuss this if you'd like to. Um, Number nine is the doctrine of sanctification. Number 10 is the doctrine of the church, the church and its mission. 
Number 11 is the ministry, that is um, the, the, the spiritual gifts God has given to the church uh, for, for ministry, as well as the ministry of the church to the world. Number 12 is divine healing. Um, that's another one that I find people uh, uh, wanting to discuss. Number 13 is the blessed hope. Uh, that is the return of Christ. Uh, what what happens in the in the future when when people die in Christ? Number fourteen, the Assemblies of God is a millennial organization. We believe in the doctrine of the millennial kingdom, a thousand year rule of uh, Christ on earth. Number fifteen is the final judgment, um, and number sixteen is the new heavens and the new earth. So those are the sixteen statements of fundamental truth. Um, I would say that um, 12 of them are probably common to most evangelical uh, churches. 12 of them would be pretty standard. Um, did you get one of these? Um, uh, the ones, the ones that would be the, the ones that would be uh, uh, maybe different from some organizations would be uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of, of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, the doctrine on divine healing, and then to probably a lesser degree would be the millennial kingdom. Not every evangelical organization will sign on to the millennial kingdom. So there you go. 16 statements of fundamental truth. By the way, <clears throat> the point here is, as a small group leader, Maybe, maybe you've got questions. Maybe the baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't part of your experience. That does not disqualify you from being a, uh, a, a small group leader. The point is simply that, that we're not looking to create doctrinal controversy. We're not looking for small group leaders to, uh, to try to build cases against doctrines and, and create that kind of conflict in the church. But we're perfectly open to discussing these issues. So um, I, I said this might be the shortest one ever. If there's no discussion, then I'm going to finish out the last, the, la the, the last little bit of what we didn't cover last week, and we'll be done. But if there is doctrinal discussion, these are the 16 statements in front of you. Questions, comments about these, and if you want to bring in some other area of doctrine, you're welcome to do that as well. Yes? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, one of the things that, that both my upbringing and my pastoral ministry has done to me is, um, is I'm not, I don't say it this way as if this is 100% right, like I'm the ultimate truth in this. It's just delivered me from being a technician in a lot of ways. Like, there are a lot of people that want to that want to make the relationship between God and man into a very precisely defined theological equation, and it's just not. So, um, so if so, I will say it this way: If you ask me, do I believe that speaking in tongues is for today? The answer is yes. Um, if you ask me. 
is that something that, uh, that is uh, in the New Testament um, in a unique way tied to someone being filled with the Holy Spirit? The answer to that would be yes. But I also believe that God's not in the business of withholding himself from humanity as much as possible, but giving himself to people as much as possible. So if you ask me, is it possible for someone to be uh, spirit-filled, to live a spirit-filled life without speaking in tongues, I'm going to say yes. And that would be out of step with what uh, a lot of others would believe within the assemblies of God. I simply believe that God's spirit will fill and indwell people as much as they are open to allow him to do. Um, And this is a conversation that I've had with our leadership so that I know that I'm not going to get myself in trouble by saying something like this in public. I've I've talked to our leadership about this. Uh, And it's been really funny to me to see how they try to toe lines and and affirm a certain standard, but say, well, there's some room here and all those kinds of things. I I just, I I believe that's the case. So, um, plus I've read enough biographies of people um, um, that that have had profound experiences with God in which the Holy Spirit has transformed their lives and ministries, but they never once spoke in other tongues to, to say, no, it just, it just would appear. Thank you. Uh, I, I need one copy left if I can. Okay, that's fine. Just, yes, and then I'll share it if, when I'm done. Thank like you. You said earlier, I've seen this. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so, I, so I think there's room there. Uh, I, I should add, I believe there's good reason to associate tongues with the with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and that is that Scripture's clear that the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. And if, if there's going to be a evidence that someone has been, has been filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the control of the tongue would be the most likely place to, to, uh, to look, right? Um, not to mention the fact that it's what we see throughout the book of Acts. Uh, and it's addressed in other places in the New Testament as well. So uh, I should also add that it's not as if this is one of those things that a believer should look at and say, yeah, like I, I really don't want that. So if I can have the Holy Spirit without that, I would, there are advantages to this, to this privilege that God has given to us. And I believe that's the way it should be looked at as, is as a privilege. The last thing I'll say about this is, that um, I think it's important to note that there is a distinction between speaking in tongues as a, as a function of one's personal prayer life as opposed to speaking in tongues as a gift in the church that is supposed to be interpreted. The two are not the same thing, the same sound, right? Same, same essence, but not the same purpose. So, um, so I think it's important uh, to, to simply recognize that not everyone uh, who speaks in tongues in private is someone who is necessarily going to be used in an utterance in tongues in the public setting. That's not the case.
Does that cover it enough? Okay. Yeah, I, I've not spent massive amounts of time comparing, comparing denominations versus others. But I, I would say that um, within the, what, what we would refer to as the non-cessationist camp, we don't believe the gifts have ceased, right? Within the non-cessationist camp, um, in terms of practice, I... I uh, I, I would, I probably, I, I probably, and as a fellowship, just experientially, is probably closer to CMA. The Assemblies of God has a lot of variety, but as a whole, the Assemblies of God probably leans more toward um, a, a, a real Pentecostal charismatic expression that is pretty... I mean, so much so that there are plenty of pastors and churches that lean like word of faith, that lean like really charismatic. And that would certainly not be the case for us. So I, I'm, I, the way I did that was pretty rapid fire, so I'm... I'm counting on a fair amount of, of biblical knowledge among this group to, to be able to take just things like that rapid fire and say, we know what you're talking about. But please, if not, it's, this is the time to, to bring it up, to ask the question. Don't walk out of here thinking something or wondering something, and, and especially if it's going to be a burr under your saddle. Yeah. Coming in late. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't heard the Mm-hmm. And then I became, uh, I went to Assemblies of God, God got saved under Paul and Bob Devon, mm-hmm. um, got filled with the Spirit, baptized. And then um, we left that to, I left that to charismatic church, mm-hmm. which turned weird. Then we mm-hmm. left that and went back to Christian Life Assembly. And then for an interim of four years, we went to a very strict fundamentalist Baptist, and then just kind of floundered around all over. Even went to a Baptist church that that uh, now I understand the Assemblies of God will ordain women, but the um, Baptist church that had a woman, she was actually really good. Um, and so we have gone full. And I went to Christian or Christ of the Nations Institute and a missionary training school that was an Azusa off. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of different orientations with regards to that. So I've sought my own, like, where is all this? Mm-hmm. So I was saved, and I know I was saved, but initially was not baptized in the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. which seems to be what we see in Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, I think the Baptists would say that 
they believe that everybody that's saved has the Holy Spirit. And I would say, well, yeah, that's true. You know, you receive that seal of the Holy Holy Spirit, this the sealing of our redemption, mm-hmm. that promised seal. That's the Holy Spirit in us. It's the empowerment that we see in Acts, where it's even the apostles they would receive it. They would go in prayer and they would receive it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So it's an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit in them. Yes. That am I describing it correctly? To somebody who doesn't know anything. Yeah. So so my way of uh, of picturing it um, and 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 at least providing. Uh, a biblical understanding for it, whether everyone agrees or not, is to say that the disciples were, were indwelt by the Holy Spirit in their salvation moment, the way we would believe along with the Baptist. Every single believer receives the Holy Spirit the moment they're born again. We, we agree. Um, that that would be the experience uh, that is recorded in John's Gospel, where Jesus appears to them and 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 breathes on them. Very, the, the language is very, very reminiscent of, of Genesis, right? He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, yeah. right? And, 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 and I think there's every reason to expect that in the same way that, that when God breathed into Adam, he didn't lay there for three weeks and, and then, whoo, I came alive, right? No, is it God breathes life, life is given, and that's the, that's the point. The life of God's spirit comes to dwell within human beings the moment they're born again. Um, and then, after breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And that's that, that's that additional empowering that we're talking about. So, um, uh, uh, different ways, but like yourself... Um, I've had uh, opportunity to, to be in different settings that were kind of all over the board with this. The school that I was raised in, um, there, were, um, uh, there were Assembly of God kids, there were probably four different, five different Baptist mission board kids. Um, nobody was entirely sure why there were so many different Baptist mission boards, but there were. There were slight things that made them different, and that's fine. There were Jesus-only people in the church. There were Nazarenes in the that church. Yep, Jesus, yep. Yeah. There were Nazarenes. Yeah, there were Nazarenes there. So there was a lot of variety, and there was a lot of conversation. And, and I, I, just, I just want to, I, I want to emphasize that, um, that one of the biggest struggles that I had theologically as a result of my upbringing was, was that um, as far as I could tell, there were things about people that emphasized the gifts of the Spirit versus those who emphasized the fruit of the Spirit. And I didn't always appreciate what I saw behind the scenes of those that emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it really made me want to just throw it out. Um, I saw people that, that um, emphasized the fruit of the Spirit, and they loved their wives well, and their kids actually enjoyed being around them, and <laughs> there was a lot to be, there was a lot to speak for there. And um, 
and so there was a there was a time of of real kind of trying to figure out where what do I believe about this issue, and uh, yeah, and so I, I think it's I think it's um, uh, what I've tried to do, whether it's been done perfectly or not, I've tried to come to a place where I can justify both what I believe and what I practice from Scripture. And I have had people in the circles in which I'm credentialed uh, say to me that, that that is quenching the Holy Spirit. And I just don't care. That's just as blunt as I can say it. I, I don't think that God's spirit is quenched by his word. Uh, so I feel that he's never, if we're honestly speaking and have questions, he's never put off by that because that's how we find the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the questioning is not the not the big deal. The questioning is that the, the issue is does do we expect the Holy Spirit to behave the way we see that practiced in a lot of circles, as opposed to what scripture seems to instruct us about how this should work. And so, so, um, just one more comment. I just, I feel like being in all those settings has taught me something that I'm just now learning. And that is to have grace in all those different opinions of others where even they sometimes don't ex- express grace, mm-hmm. but to have an understanding that God goes past that, he knows those that are his. And that's not my bother. Yeah. To have a true discussion, but what I ha- find very difficult is when there can be no discussion. Yeah. No, I agree completely. Um, so, you know, that's, that's why I said... Um, it's not as if we're requiring everyone who's going to be a small group leader to have experienced the same thing or to necessarily see things in the same way. It's simply we're not looking for a fight. <laughs> we're not looking for someone to create contention in the body, to understand that that there has to be some kind of official understanding that we operate under. And, um, and there's some wiggle room for differences in that. And so the way the Assemblies of God puts it out there, this was the test, the, the, the struggle that I had. I wanted to make sure that where I had landed did not put me so at odds with the Assemblies of God that they wouldn't want me preaching from one of their pulpits. And the only thing I knew to do was to be open about it. Here's what I believe. Here's what I think Scripture teaches. Am I within the, the 2 or 3% margin of error that you guys will accept? And they were fine with that. So, yeah. So there needs to be some room. It's, it's when we get so super technical about everything has to be exactly this way and I'm the one who knows what that way is that we end up with a problem. Yep. Yep. It's a problem. For sure. Yeah, Jeff. No, it's fine. Mm-hmm. How beautifully simple, but how much we can overlook the three evangelizing the world, worshiping God, and building a body of saints being perfected in the image of God, mm-hmm. in the image of their own son. What a 
beautiful thing, just a foundation just to hold on to. Like, what are we doing each and every day? Yeah. And are we doing one of those three things that we really should be able to? Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. I just felt like needing to, to bring that out. Yeah. It's like every once in a while, something that is so meat and potatoes. Yeah. When you eat a lot of rich food for a long time and you go back to meat and potatoes, you go, you know what? <laughs> There's a lot to be said for meat and potatoes. Amen. So, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, these are the basics that we're supposed to be about. Yeah. Others, anything else? Mm-hmm. So is that like the correct approach you would take with somebody or do you have other suggestions? Yeah. <clears throat> so, so the question is, what do you do with someone who's in disagreement with one or other of these and wants to make an issue of it in a small group setting? So <clears throat> I, would say, I would say the thing to do is to um, uh, m- maybe devote that whole evening, to devote the rest of that time to an honest discussion of Bible doctrine on that issue. Right? Closing with something like, we recognize that everybody's not going to land in the same position on this issue, but, um, but this is the official position of our church. And since we're not going to have unnecessary conflict, you can, you can disagree on this issue, but if you fellowship around here, you have to know that this is our official position. And, and you have to be okay with that. And if you want to have more, more conversation on it, if you want more discussion on it, I'll be glad to meet with you later on, and we can spend more time on this alone. Um, and if that's not enough, then you're more than welcome to pass them on to, to myself or one of the other elders, uh, and we'll be glad to have those conversations with someone that, that has a concern in some area like that. Yep. And, and usually what I end up doing, and maybe this will be helpful, usually what I end up doing is I end up looking at people and saying this. Um, often, I, I, like when, when we come to an end of a conversation and it's clear, I'm not changing to come your way and you're not changing to come mine. Um, usually I end the conversation with something like this. Well, in this conversation, it is very clear that you have presented scriptures to support your case, and I would just like you to recognize that I've presented scriptures to support mine. The, the details of how we interpret those scriptures are, have, have obviously become a sticking point between us, but we ought not be accusing each other of not being committed to scripture. We might think that one or the other doesn't understand scripture as well as we would like, but you can't accuse me of not being committed to Scripture because all I've done is defend this position from the ground of my understanding of Scripture. So, so let's, let's, not, let's not slander each other with things like they're not committed to the Word of God. They don't. No. We're committed to the Word of God. You are. I am. We just have a different understanding of what God's Word teaches on this issue. And it'll be His job to 
sorted out in the end. So I, I try to diffuse future conflict that can, that can arise um, by saying um, my, my biggest goal is not necessarily to convince you, but simply to demonstrate that I've thought about this and I have a biblical reason for what I believe. You don't have to agree with it, but that's, that's where it is. Right? We, we both honor the same word being over us. Yeah. Well, if I understand, if I understand the, 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 the way you're asking the question, I think we would say that Christianity absolutely has axioms, but the number of them is fairly small, right? In other words, there is such a thing as heresy. So that means there are axioms that are mandated to us as Christians, but um, uh, that, that then allows me to, to identify heresy when I hear it. But, um, but the flip side of that is that making too many axioms and, and having a large, all of a sudden, everybody becomes a heretic. And everybody but me becomes a heretic. And that's a real problem, right? That's a real problem. So um, there just, there are people who believe that if, who believe that, that any, any church or denomination that believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today are satanic at worst and, and carnal, hyper-emotional at best. Um, and that's just a complete dismissal of, okay, we, we, we don't see eye to eye on what Scripture teaches on this issue, but... Um, but an honest discussion of this issue, we ought to be able to step away from this going, we are brothers in Christ that don't see eye to eye on this issue. I don't have to charge you with demonic influence. <laughs> to, 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 you know, in, so these are not issues that need to be uh, litigated that way. Well, yeah. Well, let me let me give you an example of something that I'm going to address this morning. That so, some people have worked out the doctrines of salvation to such a degree that um, that it almost starts to feel like they don't find salvation in Jesus Christ. They find salvation in their doctrines of salvation. So that if you disagree with their doctrines of salvation. Your salvation is called into question. And, and to step back and to say, no, the axiom that Scripture presents to us is that there is salvation in no other name other than Jesus Christ. If you want to get into every fine point about, about the order of things, which happens first, does regeneration happen before, right, before faith or after faith, like we can have that conversation and I'll come down one side or the other on that issue but I'm not going to look at the other side and say you're not saved. And you shouldn't say that to me either, 
right? These are not things that are made so explicitly clear in Scripture that we should make those kind of dogmatic statements about them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had none. And yet, what did he have? He had no theology. He had eternal life is what he had. <laughs> but he had it because he acknowledged Yeah, because it was faith in Jesus. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And he wasn't even baptized in the Spirit. He wasn't even baptized in water. <laughs> he had a better chance of being baptized in the Spirit than he did of being baptized in water. I'll tell you that. Unless it had rained really hard or something, but that would have been sprinkling, and that doesn't count. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, wasn't it? <laughs> I crack me up sometimes. All right. Um, okay. So let me uh, let me just table this. It, uh, when we come together again next Sunday morning, you'll have had a week to take this with you and look over it. Is there anyone that doesn't have one that wants one? I can let go of mine. Anybody want one, a copy? Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. So you have a whole week. Please, if there's any doctrinal questions, um, and it doesn't have to be limited to these, if there's something else out, if there's something else that you say, this is important to me, I want to know where the church stands on this issue, please just bring it up, okay? Please bring it up. This uh, uh, next week will be your chance. Let me just close by saying this really quickly. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been going through the kind of whys we're doing small groups and, and why we're emphasizing this. Uh, we talked about the importance of ministry belonging to all of God's people. We talked, about, uh, we talked a lot about relationships and outreach last week. I just want to mention really fast, uh, three or four, just bullet point fashion, three or four other advantages, other reasons why we're doing this. One is to facilitate prayer. Not everybody is, pray, is comfortable praying in public, but prayer is a vital part of the ministry of the church. And one of the things that we want small groups to practice together is praying together. Um, so people can get accustomed to praying in a small group in ways that they couldn't necessarily in the large group, the public setting. But it would be a, it's a way of fostering the prayer ministry of the church in a small group setting. Um, the second one is, is, uh, is worship. Giving people increased comfort level with worship in a setting that's less threatening. Okay? And by that I mean some of us are just scared to death of our voices being heard. Right? But it's just, it's okay. It's okay for our voices to be heard. Um, and so, yes, while, while um, worship is not even close to being limited to music, uh, there might be an opportunity for, in small group settings, people to sing together, people to worship together, people to praise together. You might actually hear someone speak quietly in tongues that you haven't heard before. Um, uh, because one of the things we do, one of the things we believe is that is that disorder is not supposed to be part of the way things function. But the, the, the closer you get to the prayer closet, the smaller, the more intimate the setting, the more comfortable these things can become. And, and, um, and you might hear something in a much smaller setting that you weren't aware is actually going on in the larger setting. 
It is. It's just you can't hear it. You're not. You're not sitting necessarily right next to to this. So, um, so practicing worship together. Practicing worship together. Um, I already mentioned spiritual gifts. That's um, that's part of this. It's a place for for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be used. And then the last thing is this. And boy, I just hate this. I I don't I don't even like bringing this up. So. If, any, if, if you think that I ever talk about things that, I'm, that I, I, I can't stand, here it is. I'm going to validate it, and then I'm going to hate that I did it in the morning, but I'm going to do it. It just is what it is. Um, you know, I, I well, I'm not going to say what I think. I'm just going to say it the way, the way it needs to be said right now, and that is that small group settings provide us with, with a platform as the church just in case we are ever in the time when small groups become what's necessary for the church. There's ever a day when we're, we don't have the same freedoms to do what we're doing right now. We will have a structure in place that allow us, for, allow us to just, hey, we've been doing a lot of this in the past. Let's just do it again, <laughs> right? We can, we can function this way. We know how to be the church. And... and I, I, my, the reason I don't want to talk about this is because I don't want to build fear and I don't want to build unnecessary levels of political obsession that people just get, yeah, they're, they're coming for, they're going to take away, like next year we won't be able to meet in public anymore. I, I don't foresee anything like that happening that fast, but I don't think it's helpful to bury our heads in the sand and to act like we're exempt from possibilities there may be a day when the church is no longer welcome in this country. And if that's the case, we're going to have practiced small groups sufficiently that we'll be good at them. <laughs> and, and we'll be able to function in that setting if we ever need to function in that setting and it becomes the exclusive expression of the church. We'll be ready for it. So I have to at least say that's a, a fringe benefit of what we're doing. That make sense? Don't live in fear, but we're supposed to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. And that would be part of it. Okay? You've got the 16 statements, and you've got a chance to jot down on the back any other areas of doctrine that you might want to discuss. And we'll start with that next week. That'll be, that'll be our discussion next week to start with. If there's more doctrinal issues you'd like to, to put on the table... We'll be glad to do that. All right? All right. Very good. Thanks for being here this morning. Blessings to you all. <laughs> we are most unfortunate people because it keeps saying they preach the good news. They preach the good news. And I said to Peggy, how far did they go in theology? Preaching. How far did they go? Yeah. What you said simply... Anything else then becomes variable. Yep. Theology becomes divisive. Yeah. Those are in-house discussions that are worth having, but they're not the good news that we're presenting to the outside world. To pretend like they have to understand all that before they can be saved is insane. Salvation is found in Jesus, period. Come to Jesus. Yep. It is. Yeah, thank you. Hey. Here's a whole lot more check. Well, not a whole lot more, but some good.
I'm keeping track of how much I owe 